Welcome to the Teaming Against Trauma podcast, brought to you by Dorchester Children's Advocacy Center. My name is Brooke Anderson, and I'm so grateful that you're here with us. We'll be talking about the way child advocacy professionals fight together against trauma and the effects that it has on children. My hope is that you'll gain a better understanding of the way the Child Advocacy Center model works and leave feeling inspired with ways and action steps that you can use to better understand trauma and prevent child abuse. This work truly takes a team to do. So now I'm considering you a part of ours. Welcome to the team. Now let's jump in. Before getting into this month's episode on mental health with Rachel Statz and Taylor Conroy, I want to tell you about something extraordinary we have planned for this summer. We're calling it the Summer of Survivors miniseries. During the months of June, July, and August, we'll be hearing from three amazing individuals who have the lived experience of childhood trauma. Their stories are really impactful. They allow us to see the journey of hope, healing, and empowerment that can be found even after childhood trauma occurs. So from hearing these stories, I believe we'll be refired to keep fighting for and protecting the children that we know and love today so that they too can have stories of hope, healing, and redemption in their futures. Join us this summer the second Tuesday of each month, and let's keep fighting together. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Teaming Against Trauma with Dorchester Children's Advocacy Center. Today, we're going to be talking about mental health. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and I have some really special guests here with me that work at DCAC. They are forensic interviewers and trauma-focused therapists. So I will let them introduce themselves in just a minute, but I want to take a second to just um, talk about how millions of people around the U.S. are affected by mental illnesses every day. And there's been a huge stigma around mental illnesses and mental health in general. But during the month of May, the U.S. is breaking the silence on mental health. With NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, More Than Enough campaign, We are joining the conversation to get a better understanding of what mental health really is, how we aid in mental health at DCAC, and just some more information that Taylor and Rachel are going to be able to share with us today. So I want them to introduce themselves, uh, but I want to say that they are some of the most incredible people. They do so much for children and families every day at DCAC and have also become really great friends. So I'm excited for this conversation. It's going to be fun and light and just a good time for all of us. So welcome. I will let Taylor introduce herself first. Hi. Thanks for having me, Brooke. I'm Taylor Conroy. I'm a forensic interviewer and therapist here at DCAC, like Brooke said. Um, I studied psychology and criminal justice at the University of Michigan for my bachelor's degree. Um, I worked at a domestic violence shelter after I graduated from there and then I started working with 
teens in foster care doing independent living skills. And then during that job, I realized I wanted to go back for my social work degree. So I went to Stony Brook University, got my master's in social work and my license. I interned with human trafficking survivors in jail. And I also interned with men and women on parole. So I worked with trauma in a lot of different ways and different positions and wanted to continue doing that. And that kind of led me here. Awesome. Um, yeah, and here at DCAC, I work with the children ages 13, 3 to 18, um, doing TFCBT, RFT, yeah. Awesome. Can you tell us, do you have a fun fact about yourself to share as well? <laughs> um, I lived in Australia for a year, um, yeah. so that was a lot of fun, got to travel a lot over there, um, scuba dive in the Great Barrier Reef, which was really cool. So That is incredible. Yeah. Yay. Thanks, Taylor. Rachel, what about you? Can you tell us some about yourself, how you got here? Yeah, so I'm originally from Charleston, West Virginia, and so I got my undergrad degrees. I double majored in um, psychology and criminal justice. I went to Marshall University. Um, I don't know if Lindsay shared that tidbit um, in the beginning. I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, we're both um, fellow Marshall alums. Um, and um, I got my master's in psychology here at the Citadel. Um, I always wanted to work with um, PTSD, um, but specifically like veterans, like military. Um, but I ended up doing my internship here and I just fell in love with the trauma work that was done here. And also just loved the forensic interviewing and therapy aspect of it because I thought that I could use like my criminal justice and my psychology like degrees and yeah. just like a really great combination, combination of them both. Um, and yeah, so similar to Taylor, I do TFCBT and RFT here as well, and I also do CPT. Um, I have some CSEC experience. Um, I don't know, I think Taylor really taught me on the fun fact. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely um, not. But, um, yeah, I was in the Navy in between my undergrad and my master's, so um, I kind of did things backwards where I was in college first and then I did the Navy. So mm -hmm. it's like, there's no way I can pay back all those student loans. So yeah. joined the Navy and that's where I met, I met my husband. So that brought us down here. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's a really cool. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> really cool. Could one of you explain what CFCBT and the different acronyms you were saying were just for people in case they don't know. Just um, a couple of them. Yeah, sure. So TFCBT is trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy. It's specifically for children with trauma. Um, it's very structured, I think, with a, like, what is it, 8, 12 to... Um, it's actually, I think it's 3 to 18, or is it 3 to 18? I think 5 to 18, yeah. but it's 12 to 18 sessions. Oh, sessions. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, with kids that are... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, That's great. Yeah, so that is an evidence-based practice. RFT, me and Rach just got trained in. That's um, risk reduction through family therapy for teens with uh, risky behaviors. Um, if you want to go ahead and introduce um, the yeah, others. Yeah, CBT is cognitive um, processing therapy. 
Um, it is um, evidence-based and actually was originated um, on um, Vietnam veterans. Um, so I came here just like already passionate about CBT and um, that treatment. Um, but it is 12 sessions, so it's pretty short, um, but it's um, evidence-based for ages 16 and up. So it's also evidence-based for adults, and it's really cool that we offer it here because um, we actually get a lot of caregivers that have trauma as well, and so it's nice that we have that option to offer something for caregivers as well. Um, and then just like the CSEC trainings that I've had um, kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with some of the mental health clients that I see, but that's commercial sexual exploitation of children. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for explaining that. I know when I first came to DCAC, there were so many acronyms. I was like, yes. what are these people talking about? <laughs> Sometimes so. I even need help with the acronyms. <laughs> like, which one are we talking about? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so could you, one of you, explain kind of how you assess what treatment's appropriate when you talk about all those different ones? Like, do you decide that individually, as a group, with other therapists? Tell me more about that process. Yeah, that's a really fair question because there is a lot. Um, I feel like it kind of starts um, when we see them for a forensic interview. Um, we will usually, not always, but usually we'll recommend them for a trauma screening appointment. And it's just a one-hour appointment, and we will discuss the results of that trauma screening with our clinical team and um, just kind of get everybody's input, including our supervisors, um, just going over whether or not they actually have clinically significant symptoms for trauma. Um, and if they do, um, you know, kind of like what else, like what other dynamics are going on in their family. So, um, you know, RFT clients and CBT clients and CPT clients all can have trauma symptoms, um, but is there other dynamics like risky behaviors, like, you know, some concerns for online exploitation, some substance use, like then maybe they would be more appropriate for RFT, um, just kind of things like that. But it's really, really helpful that we kind of all come together as a clinical team so that way it's not just like on solely on one person's opinion um, for that. Awesome. Yeah, and it also depends too like what's available to those families and caregivers and what's more convenient for them because if they don't have transportation to come here or they don't have access to Department of Mental Health, um, whatever it is, we have to make a recommendation that's both accessible for them and appropriate. So we're able to really brainstorm that as a team together. Yeah, yeah I love that. That's awesome. Sometimes I wish I could be a part of the like, clinical. You, <laughs> you know, can side be. Yeah. Or I just sit in on a meeting sometimes. That's it. <laughs> yeah. But y'all seem like you have a good time. So grateful for that. Um, thanks for explaining that too. Mm -hmm. Also, just want to ask so, like, when you see these clients um, and they, you're getting them mental health help um, because they're struggling in, in some way, one way or another, and um, you decide that they do need one of these therapies. Um, what are some, are there some ways that they may be resistant of getting that? Have you seen, can you give me examples of that? Or just like common narratives that you hear kind of around mental health, maybe if it's not from the client, it's from the parent. Um, yeah, just tell me a little bit more about what that's like and then also how like you want to flip the script to be how you kind of try and help people understand what mental health really is in a more comprehensive way. I'll let Taylor go first on this <laughs> Okay. Um, so a lot of times we can hear clients talk about like I'm crazy or I feel crazy because 
nobody understands what's going on or I can't show these emotions, I can't show weakness. We hear that a lot from caregivers too because they're like, well, I can't cry in front of my kids or I can't tell them how I'm feeling because I have to be the strong one, I have to be the rock. Um, we hear that from kids too when it comes to like protecting their parents or protecting their siblings. Um, so really feeling like they're going to be judged, that they need to be strong for other people, so they push a lot of these emotions down. Um, I've talked about this with like Rach and the clinical team a lot and how like vulnerability is so important to show. I don't know if you're familiar with Brene Brown, but she talks yeah. a lot about vulnerability and how it's a strength to show that because it's really hard. Um, it's really hard to be vulnerable. It's hard to um, talk about how we're feeling, especially when it comes to trauma work because talking about trauma is not easy. It is a very vulnerable process. Talking to a therapist, someone that you just met about it, talking to family or friends about what you've been through. Um, so, you know, just flipping the switch about how it's hard to talk about difficult things, but it is a strength. It is a strength to show that you can be vulnerable. Um, yeah, so definitely I'm talk, listening and reading some Brene Brown. A yeah. lot about vulnerability <laughs> there. Yes, I totally yeah. agree. She's really great. Anything else, Rachel, to add to that? Yeah, I completely agree with everything Taylor said. The only thing that I think that I might add, um, and it's really convenient that we have um, a secret little ghost guest over here for this episode. Um, <laughs> You're um, a secret <laughs> ghost guest. Yes, we have Jess yeah, so I was going to add in just, I would love, and YouTube because you're at this training too, but I actually think that it has gotten a lot better in, in 2023. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the stigma of mental health has gotten better. I think that just personally what I've seen with clients with um, resistance or like maybe like stereotypes and stigma that I see that are still a struggle are kind of like the shame and seeking um, yeah. help in the more like faith-based communities um, and it can kind of be difficult for people to kind of seek the help outside of their religious kind of families and that community um, but I don't know if you guys see the one want to add to any of that because I know you guys went to like that specialized training but yeah, yeah I think that's certainly a barrier um, especially in like the faith communities is that there's just this idea that like the two are very separate of like I can treat my mental health or I can choose to like follow my faith and like I can't do both together so I think that that's a stigma for sure still in a lot of faith communities I do think there's been that progress but yeah, I, I, I don't know what you think, Brooke, but that that would keep some people from seeking mental health services. That's definitely a barrier. Yeah. Um, and so kind of educating clients on how can faith, like kind of getting in their framework, because that's so important, is like, how can your faith be used in recovering from your trauma? Like, how can we incorporate that into treatment? And showing that the two can go together um, can help, I think, break that barrier for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, I think you bring up a really good point about making it like, you know, we always want to put the client first. And so the way that they're seeing it, like how can we use their language then to help them engage? Like, I think that at the root, everyone wants to, you know, whether they're connected to a faith or not, like we all want to experience healing and freedom from things that have hurt us in the past. And so 
um, how do we kind of utilize that language that they use whatever their faith background is mm-hmm, or yeah. um, wherever yeah, they're coming from to to work with them and to help us learn from them as mm-hmm. well, like what their needs truly are so that we can keep that client at the center of everything we do. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, so thanks for bringing that up, Rachel. Yeah. yeah. And, and bringing our guests in. <laughs> <laughs> that was perfect. A little slide. It wasn't on purpose at all. And are there any other barriers uh, or things that would create resistance, you think, maybe towards people that wouldn't get mental health treatment? Yeah, so I think it could be, it's, as we've talked about, spiritual, there's the cultural aspect, and then there's physical needs not being met. So it's can come from the inability for people to find affordable and convenient mental health treatment if their basic needs aren't being met. Um, Families can be really resistant to their child receiving mental health services if they don't have transportation, if they um, are employed full-time and are unable to bring their kids here because they have to work to put food on the table they need to care for the other kids they don't have affordable child care so there can be a lot of barriers other than just you know cultural spiritual yeah. um, actual beliefs, physical, physical yeah. barriers to that yeah we see that a lot yeah yeah i feel like it kind of like it just goes back to like the psychology 101 of talking about maslow's hierarchy and like the last thing that parents are going to want to consider when they're literally worried about paying the electric bill or rent or their car bill is you know taking time for mental health um you know those basic needs really do need to be met in order um to kind of go up and and seek their their own mental health. Especially with trauma work too because if those basic needs aren't being met, having to work on your trauma and on a deeper emotional level, it's really hard because each week you're not focused on working through trauma, you're focused on meeting your basic daily needs. Yeah, that's really good. I really, and I feel like I just put it together that we talked about like there's resistance, spiritual, physical, and mm-hmm. emotional. Like, they all, and we talk yeah. about how like, we have to serve the whole person. We have to yeah. work, and that's kind of why we work with so many different organizations mm-hmm. as well to, okay, how do we meet these physical needs? How do we meet these spiritual needs? Yeah. We do a lot of the emotional work, but if those things aren't met, then we can't do it as well mm-hmm. as yeah. we could. Yeah. Or, or, And I, I hate to say make it about us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, y'all couldn't do your jobs as well maybe because the client isn't in the best situation mm-hmm. to be able to receive it. Yeah, as much as we want to swoop in and be that superhero, right. we can't yeah. always do that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. As therapists, like it is, it is based on the client a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes the kid is ready and really wants mental health treatment, but there's a barrier of the parent not wanting. Yeah. And that's something that we also see a lot. I think Richard yeah, saw someone recently. recently. Yeah, where the, yeah. the child really did um, want some mental health services, but the mom, you know, just doesn't doesn't see the importance mm-hmm. in it, so to speak. So. Yeah. so do you try and talk to parents that have that resistance, or how does that kind of play out? Yeah, yeah. We, we do. We try. Um, you know, it's 
it can just be difficult when sometimes like when parents are on the fence it's definitely easier to kind of bring them over to the other side but when you have a parent that is so far leaning on into one thing you know the best thing that you can do is just to make that recommendation yeah. and bring it back to the importance of the kid wanting it and focusing it on yeah. their child and just being non-judgmental because you know parents are just so used especially when they come here with the all the investigative agencies and everybody that's involved like um just being a non-judgmental party with everything that they're saying mm -hmm. even if we might not think it's totally appropriate but you're not going to ever get anywhere with those caregivers if you don't at least just kind of like humble yourself and just try to listen to where they're coming from yeah but yeah. We'll try to see what they might have been through to have these beliefs and where they're coming from. And mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, absolutely. That's really good. So after these referrals are made and clients are in therapy and you're seeing them, I want to talk a little bit about what your role on the multidisciplinary team or the MDT, as we've talked about, kind of looks like. And for anyone that hasn't heard about our talks about the MDT. It's essentially a bunch of different professionals that are involved in the investigation, prosecution, and treatment services for that child that has had some sort of uh, case with abuse, neglect, or trauma. And so, uh, but you guys sit in on these as when your clients' uh, cases are being reviewed. So I just want to hear from your perspective when it is your client and they're receiving one of these types of trauma treatment services that we offer them, kind of what your like perspective is, how you influence the discussion and the decisions that are then made um, from those case reviews with the MDT. Yeah, I think it depends if we're coming in as the forensic interviewer for the family or the therapist. Mm -hmm. Um, but we always try to remain within our scope of practice while also advocating for the children and the family. So we can provide information about the forensic, what the child disclosed to our MDT members, but we can also provide information about the family dynamic, what we observed during pre and post, or any concerns that either the child or the caregivers might have expressed to us, we'll bring that to the MDT. And the same goes if we're a therapist, we always want to advocate for our families um, the best that we can, whether that's getting additional services or just needing to speak with one of the investigative agencies, we can reach out and kind of bridge that um, communication for them, or if it's like with schools. So we always try to just advocate for the families in whatever way we can within our scope. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you have anything to add, Rach. Yeah, I feel like I'm more sit in the MDT, like meetings and staffings for the CSEC clients as the right. therapist mm -hmm. versus like our regular, like every other Thursday and Friday, like as the forensic interviewer, like we're doing that every other week as the interviewer, but as the actual therapist, I feel like I'm sitting in those meeting meetings more for the CSEC clients. And that's because a lot of the times those clients are all over the state. They're everywhere in South Carolina. They're not just local, they're like Dorchester, Charleston or Berkeley County. And so as a therapist, 
sometimes DSS will really want our input on like things like supervis supervised visits like with caregivers or um, like p placement changes, like our input on that, like do they, is it okay for them to just be in a foster care placement or like do they need to be in like a PRTF? Any kind of like reunification um, recommendations, any additional like therapy recommendations that they might need, things like that. I feel like DSS um, kind of like really appreciates, you know, the therapist input on during those staffings. Yeah, do y'all have a separate MDT for CSEC clients? We do. Um, so they, you know, I feel like for, I don't know if you'll ever have Nicole and Allison on, I hope you do, they're great. <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> um, but they are our CSEC coordinators, our CSEC team here, and they are amazing at organizing all the CSEC staffings. And they're usually, they're a little bit longer, they're usually like an hour each. And um, it's just, I mean, some of those cases, like I feel like with with our MDT locally, like it's usually just just the local law enforcement, like one detective. But like sometimes in these CSEC cases, it can be like local law enforcement. It can also be SLED, like state level DSS. Is like I mean, it's just like all kinds of things um, involved. So that's kind of sometimes like why why they're longer. Um, but yes, they are separate. Yeah. And that whole kind of process for, and I, I would like to have Nicole and Allison on at some point, but that whole process for CSEC clients mm -hmm. looks a little bit different. So yeah. we kind of, y'all kind of do things similar in a CSEC way, yeah. but not. Yeah. It's really tailor it to that client's needs. Yeah, so. it's just a lot more, I feel like there's just a lot more complexities and, and different yeah. dynamics that, that, you know, kind of our, our other cases um, don't necessarily go through. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Thanks for sharing from that. Yeah. That kind of perspective too. And I feel like every time I do these last last episode, Lindsay and I are like, oh, and let's do an episode on that. And let's do an episode. Yeah. yeah. So thanks for giving me another idea. <laughs> That'll be good. So in when we talk about uh, mental health and you know we talked about a lot of the struggles and kind of ways that we try and work with people to overcome them. Um, but we know that like mental health and mental health diagnoses don't have to mean that they don't have a good life and that they are, yeah, just, just living, you know, in a way that isn't full and good all the time. And so uh, how have you kind of seen clients like thrive, even if they have some mental health struggles that don't necessarily go away, but just, you know, are ones that they learn to kind of cope with? Yeah, so a diagnosis can be, if you look at it in a really positive light, it can be really helpful because when we are, when we give a diagnosis, and we don't diagnose here, but when clients are diagnosed, it can give some understanding into the very confusing symptoms that they're seeing and where they feel really alone. Instead, this can be like, I'm not alone and, oh, I might feel this way because I have depression, because I struggle with anxiety. Um, so it can give a really great understanding and help us as a team treat them the best that they can. So it really, they can thrive with any diagnosis if they're getting the proper treatment and if they're looking out for their needs, if we're looking out for their needs to be met. It helps us as a clinician understand and it helps them give some understanding to, again, their symptoms. So regardless of their mental health diagnosis, they can grow, they can heal. So it's just, if you look at it in a really positive light, a diagnosis is just a tool. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. I like. I agree with all that. I mean, it's it really some. You know, having a diagnosis is it really truly just helps with an understanding of like an explanation of why. Mm-hmm. I'm like sometimes people like are like I feel so different. Like why am I like this? And it can just kind of help provide a little bit of understanding and insight mm-hmm. as to why they are you know doing and thinking the way that they are. And also, I mean, just simply, it helps with insurance too. Like we yes. do not accept insurance. Like we don't diagnose here. But if you are in a, you know, a space that does, like having a diagnosis can help with with that process too. So. Yeah. Awesome. So if we, if y'all were seeing someone and you wanted to give them a diagnosis, would you refer out yes. to mm-hmm. someone that could do that? Okay. Yeah. Who specializes in whatever they are diagnosed with as well, if it's not just trauma. Okay, mm-hmm. makes sense. So if um, someone is, maybe they don't, maybe they have a diagnosis, maybe they don't, um, but they have developed like coping skills to help cope, you know, we all have coping skills. What are some signs, first I want to say signs like in yourself and then specifically signs in children or anyone that may be listening that has has children or is a parent of children um, to kind of look for of like it's maybe you need some more help maybe you need to reach out to a professional and get that help could you could you help explain that a little bit yeah for some reason I'm like kind of coming from like a CSEC perspective I just feel like a lot of my clients are as far as caregivers and parents things to look out for that might be concerning in their kid um, would be like if they're isolating themselves in their room and this is abnormal right like whereas like normally they were like really extroverted and and talkative and like playing and all of a sudden they just have been isolating themselves in their room Um, just typical things you know anger outbursts extreme changes in mood any attachment or boundary concerns and again these are all out of the norm for them as a person Something to kind of keep an eye on as far as like concerns for exploitation or trafficking is if the child is staying awake all night and very tired during the day and wanting to sleep all day, it could very well mean that they are doing some things at night and that's what's keeping them so tired during the day. Like if they're not focused in school, if they're always falling asleep in school, it could be because they're up all night being exploited. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess... For like adults or young adults, people our age, um, elderly, whoever, if it's interfering with your daily life, if you are seeing a really big change in yourself that's not a positive one when it comes to like work or school or just living every day, if you're really struggling with that, that's a sign that you need to get some mental health um, treatment and also with kids it could be just a really big change in their life having a therapist to work through that really big life change with them can be either like preventative or can help in the moment Um, and that goes for everyone right so where are some resources that people could reach out to locally if this (laughs) is them (laughs) um so i it's funny we you know uh, again, I'm going to shout out Nicole and Allison because Allison like helped fold all of these too. But Nicole and I recently got trained in Not a Number Facilitation. It's a trafficking prevention um, program through LUP 146. And part of that training was to develop 
a resource guide, like a pocket guide for youth to be able to pass out. So Nicole made a tri-county specific like pocket guide for South Carolina with all kinds of resources. But obviously like, you know, us like Dorchester CAC, we put as a safe space, but also just, I mean, even if we don't provide a service here or something that they're looking for, I love what Nicole always tells people. Like, if we don't have it here, we will absolutely do the work yeah. to find it for you or find somebody that can get that help yeah. for you. So definitely, obviously, recommend us. Dorchester um, Drug and Alcohol Kennedy Center as far as, like, substance use. Um, as far as, like, trafficking, there's the National Human Trafficking Hotline. Let's see. Department of Mental Health. Yeah, Department of Mental Health. Department of Mental Health. There's a different one in every county, one yeah. for every county. Um, and I'm really excited. 988 is the new suicide prevention hotline number. They changed it from like really, really long yeah, to just 988. Yep. And you can call it, you can text it, which is really exciting. And it's just for, you can reach out for resources, you can reach out for help. It covers it all. So awesome. I'm very excited. They just changed that this year. Yeah, that's that's really great. Thank you for sharing this. So yeah, this was a really great conversation. I feel like y'all gave so much good information just mm -hmm. for people to understand mental health and um, the importance of us talking about it and breaking out of that stigma. I think it's getting better, but we still have a ways to go mm -hmm. with it. And so thank you for doing the hard work and also using your voice um, in various ways to, to advocate for people to keep getting mental health care. If we want to like to continue these conversations, mm -hmm. really my last question, how do we keep talking about mental health in a way that addresses that it, that it is something that is real to a lot of people, but uses language around it that's kind of like uplifting and empowering instead of, um, you know, that shame-based hiddenness that it's kind of lived in for a while. I think genuinely asking people how they're doing, not just like a, hey, how are you, but not waiting for an answer or taking like fine as an answer. If you're really asking someone like, how are you doing today? Mm -hmm. And letting them know that you genuinely care can start that conversation. Um, so not just taking like fine for an answer, like, are you actually fine? Because it's okay not to be okay. So having that conversation with anyone, Taking the time to listen to people can make them feel empowered just to know that they have someone that's willing to listen. Not so much the starting that conversation, but if somebody does come to you and needs to talk, asking them, do you want me to listen or do you need advice? That can be really empowering for them to know, hey, someone is just willing to listen to me. So I think just letting it be a conversation and also being able to say like, I'm having a really hard time today and I'm struggling with this allows people to know like oh if they can say it I can too yeah. so being really open and honest and checking in with people around you I think is really empowering yeah being so, kind of like the first one like to take yeah. the step of vulnerability first yes I feel like that's what makes people feel really safe with you too, yeah when you're talking about in just friendship Mm -hmm. situations yeah you foster that connection with them right. connection with a stranger and you never know it could turn anyone's day around i always feel like always coming from a non-judgmental space is so important because mm -hmm. 
so much of why, <clears throat> sorry, so much of why people don't want to talk about things is because they think that they are going to be judged or shamed for yeah. what it is. So no matter what, just always kind of, especially in a, like as therapists, always making sure that we're checking in with ourselves, that we are not giving some kind of a reaction that lets them know yeah. that we're judging them for these things. But as far as like friends and family, like you said, like the last time, the last thing that a lot of people want is unsolicited advice. Yes. Right? Like they just want somebody to listen. They just want someone to not judge them for whatever, you know, quote unquote ridiculous thought that they have about something that's going on. So I think that sometimes if it's something that goes beyond someone just like venting every now and then, mm -hmm. just simply asking, you know, if they thought about talking to someone, yeah. you know, very non-judgmentally, like just like, have you ever talked, you know, thought about talking to someone, acknowledging what they're going through isn't mm -hmm. something that's easy or something that they, sh they have to go through alone. And you know, just kind of like in a gentle way, like yeah. non judgmental. I'm worried way. about you. Yeah. How are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. And then also along those lines, not saying like I understand because you don't understand everyone's situation. And sometimes that can be more frustrating for someone to hear yeah. and can shut them down. So instead being like, yeah, that really sucks. Yeah. Like that's mm -hmm. not easy and that sounds like it's really hard. Yeah and letting them know like you're really strong for saying that or whatever it is but you know not saying i understand because we right. don't understand anyone's situation that they're valid and how they're yeah. feeling yeah yeah makes makes sense that you're feeling that way it's okay yeah that's really good yeah and i think that that kind of goes in line with nami's more than enough campaign the really it's celebrating the inherent value that everyone has regardless of their diagnosis, their appearance, their socioeconomic status, their background, or their ability. And they were saying that they just want every person to know that if all they did was wake up today, that that's more than enough. That no matter what, they're inherently worthy of more than enough life, love, and healing. And showing up for yourself and the people around you um, is really more than enough. And I think that if we can engage in that mindset ourselves too, yeah. that we can spread that to the people around us and really love them best and, and believe that for them. So mm -hmm. do we have any final thoughts, anything that we didn't touch on you would like to share about? Just be kind to people. Yeah. yeah. Be kind. Yeah. You never know what someone's going through. Even the yeah. person that cuts you off in traffic, you never know what they're going through. Yeah. They may have had like a really, really terrible day. Yeah. Um, and I know that sometimes in the moment, in that yeah. heat of the moment, being cut off can be like really, really frustrating. But just know that everybody's human and, and everyone's going through something. Right. Yeah. We talk about in adverse childhood experiences, which I plan on doing a whole episode on soon. Of like the tip, like the iceberg kind yes. of mentality of like yeah, what you are absolutely. seeing is like the very little ten percent tip yes. of this big iceberg, and yeah. there's all this stuff underneath that people are experiencing and going through that have gotten them to mm -hmm. maybe lash out or act in a certain way. And so yeah. that's for all of us, really. Yeah. So yeah, just give people grace and be really kind. Yeah, mm -hmm. awesome. Well, I want to end with just asking you to one last question, <laughs> and oh. that is, I ask everyone, so you can't get out of it. <laughs> if you could have one superpower, what would it be and why? Um, I would, 
breathe underwater so I can stay underwater <laughs> longer because I love the water. I, I mean, if I could yeah. literally live in the water underwater. Be a mermaid. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It would be weird having one fin, maybe. I don't know. But to be, like, I don't know. I just really love the water. Yeah. I would be able to just breathe. Yeah. I don't think I can pick one. Because um, I feel like teleportation is, like, course who wouldn't want that you can be anywhere at any time and I was talking to Lindsay and she was like well healing anyone would be cool and I was like yeah that would be a great one we'd be out of jobs we'd be out and that would be great See, this is what I every love time that. I open up this conversation someone says yeah that anyone. I would like end all the injustice in the world yes. <laughs> yeah and it's like yeah then we'd be done so yeah except we, me, I could still be doing prevention that's yeah. true that's true I mean, I wish our job didn't exist, but we have to do it, and I love it. But also, like, being able to speak every language and understand every language, I would love that so much. Yeah, I'd travel a lot more. Yes. Yeah. That's so cool. Well, thank you, guys. I love you a lot. Thank you for having us. Yes, we love you, and we love what you do. <laughs> there we go. All the mental health goodness. Yes. Amazing. Awesome. Okay, well, we will uh, wrap this up, and we'll be back next month. We are starting our Summer of Survivors mini-series. It's going to be a really great summer with some incredible people that I'll be bringing on the show as well. So join us for that, for sure, and thanks for everything today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining me for this episode with Rachel and Taylor. I hope that you learned more about mental health and what it truly is. I also hope you feel empowered to make decisions about your mental health and the people that you love that can be helpful and talked about in an empowering way and not one of shame anymore. Again, don't forget to join us this summer for the Summer of Survivors miniseries. It's going to be so good and powerful. I hope that you won't miss it. To be sure that you don't, make sure you subscribe to our channel if you haven't already, so you be sure to not miss an episode. Lastly, if you can please leave a review, it will really help get our podcast out there so more listeners can learn how to better protect children and prevent abuse. Thanks so much. Let's keep fighting together.